text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which was read to you earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That hymn we just sang, it says these words, Jesus has come and brings pleasure eternal. Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. God had humanity, union supernal. O great Redeemer, you come as our friend. Jesus has come. Now see the bonds rent asunder. So this hymn so wonderfully confesses the very truth of the, of the gospel. That deed, Jesus, who is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, he did enter into human flesh. He came to bring eternal pleasure. He came to bring eternal life. We were born in shackles. We were born dead to our sin and trespasses. And yet while we were still sinners... Christ came as our friend. The great Redeemer, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and end, came as your friend. He came, he suffered, he died, that you may be set free from death, set free from sin, set free from your fears, set free from all, all of the evil of the world to eternity. Which leads us to this text. This text very well kind of deals with two opposite re mindsets quite often in the church. The first mindset is that of a church where things are going quite well. You know, in my time as... But it's actually very appropriate that this shows up because it talks about the harvest is plentiful and the laborers is few. Right now we are, at this time of the year, many churches are ordaining or installing brand new pastors into the ministry. In case you are not aware, we as a synod have a major shortage of pastors. There are over 300 congregations looking for a pastor and the number of pastor people who are coming out of the seminary every year is right around 80. The number of pastors retiring every year is around 300. Notice, we're running shorter and shorter and shorter. And the churches are going to have to get, are starting to get more creative as to how to fill the spot. But this whole text ends up being about the ministry. And as last week, last son, a week ago today, was six, it was six years ago, a week ago, that I was ordained into the ministry at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Ankeny. And as my time as a pastor, I've had many joys. I was thinking about maybe when I went to, when I was on Vicarage, I was serving in the Florida, Georgia district, and I took a few of our youth down to the Florida, Georgia District Youth Gathering, which, not to say anything bad about our youth gathering, but Daytona Beach is a lot prettier than Des Moines. <laughs> Just saying. We got a, we, our, our youth gathering was right on the Pacific Ocean. Whereas ours, we have a nice hotel, but we're, we got the Des Moines River. 
So nice, but not as cool as the ocean. But anyways, we went down there and on the morning of the, like on Saturday morning, I, one of the leaders of the gathering came up to me and said, hey, we had this session that's called Stump the Pastor, but the pastor is sick. Would you like to go fill in? I was a vicar. And so I got volunteered to do a sectional. And so I sat in, and fortunately I didn't have to have anything prepared. I just had to see what questions the kids would throw at me to see if they could stump me. It turns out that the other pastor, it was supposed to be two pastors. One pastor got sick. The other pastor had to go deal with a hospital call or whatever. And so it ended up being two vicars running it. So it ended up being more stump, stump the vicar. But at the end, at both sessions, we had the room filling to the, filling to the seams and kids were end up being turned away because there wasn't enough room. And after both times, when I got done, somebody came up to me and said, thank you for answering this question. I was struggling with this question. Or another time, I went to, the second time I went to the Iowa District West Youth Gathering as a pastor. When I was up in Ocheedon, we were, head, we were heading down, but it ended up being a really nasty snowstorm. And so we only ended up bringing two people. And so, because the rest were not able to make it to Ocheedon to hitch the ride, and then we just, I went, I white-knuckled all the way down to Des Moines. But the thing is, the two people that went was a boy and a girl with two polar opposite personalities. And so both of the girl in particular was kind of dreading the whole week because there was none of her friends were there. And so we went there and she was kind of worried it was going to be bad. And I strategically sat right next to St. Paul Lutheran in Ankeny, which is where I was confirmed. And I knew the leaders. And by the, by the end of the week, she made a whole group of friends that she's still good friends with. And she ended up being one of the greatest weekends of her life was those few days. Now, as a pastor, there's, those are moments working with youth. As a pastor, I've had the, been blessed with the opportunity on multiple occasions to be at the bedside of somebody in their final minutes or their final hours, to go through the commendation of the dying, to read through those scriptures, to, read, to say those prayers, to go through that litany, to sing those hymns. No, it's not a blessing that the person is dying, but as a blessing to be able to give the gospel, to read, say those words of comfort in those final moments. Now the thing is, as I think about all those times in ministry, the very tempting thing that we do in ministry when things go well, when things in the church are going well, or maybe we look at this last, just a couple weeks ago, we had over 100 kids for, for a VBS. Such a joyous week for our, for our entire congregation. And by the way, I do love doing VBS because throughout the year, I don't really get to work with the, little, the younger kids. And so I actually get to have a few days with the younger kids. But the temptation is for us to go and say, look at how awesome I am. Look at all the good things that we have done. To give ourselves all of the credit and all of the glory. To, to just bathe in our own successes or our own perceived successes. 
See, the devil quite often likes to take take God, the gospel, take the work of the ministry, and he will find any and every way to to choke out the joy, to choke out the message of the gospel. And he loves it when things are going well to get us to stop focusing on Jesus and focusing on us. I can tell you as a pastor, it's very common for us to go to pastor's conferences, and it's very tempting for other pastors to be like, oh, you wouldn't believe it, we had 50 people at such and such event and going through the whole list. They like to show off, kind of like, kind of like when you go to a high school reunion, want to show off who's had the best life so far. But then there is the other side of that. What about when things are not going so well? Or, I should say, not going the way we would like it. We like to begin to grumble and act as if nothing is going well. As if everything is wrong. Now, of course, the first place that we're going to turn our attention to is us, pastors. Complain about something that the pastor is doing or saying. Now, understand, first off, if the pastor is saying anything feel myself or whoever, is saying anything that's actually doctrinally wrong, you have an obligation to speak up. But if the issue happens to be with style of preaching or maybe, I don't know if you noticed, but me and Pastor Salcedo have two very different styles of preaching. And there are some people that prefer his style and there's some that prefer mine. But do you know something? As long as we are both preaching the gospel, that's what you should be rejoicing, not complaining in style. And there's probably people that don't like either of our styles. But here is the reality. Did you know the Apostle Paul was a bad preacher? Read, read, read in the book of Acts. He was such a boring preacher that a kid named Eutychus fell out a window and died because he fell asleep. And the Apostle Paul went out, raised him from the dead, Apparently, death is not an excuse to skip out on the sermon. He raised him up, and he went right back to preaching. <laughs> Moses was also a bad preacher. Did you ever notice throughout the book of, throughout the Exodus and everything, who's the speaker? Aaron, his brother, not Moses, because Moses wasn't very good. Moses only seemed to speak when he absolutely had to, or when Aaron was going a little off the wall. So, sometimes the people, you're not going to like certain styles. And then there's also the fact, I don't know if you know, so every, when God decided to appoint pastors, he appointed human beings. Not aliens, not robots, or anything like that. Which means, we all have unique personalities. Every single one of us. If you've ever taken the Meyer-Briggs type indicator, every single person has a set of four letters that assign, that's their personality. And it's actually pretty much hardwired into your brain. Unless you have a really traumatic experience, it doesn't change very much. But the thing is, by consequence of those four letters, every single person has someone who is the polar opposite personality, which means you will struggle to get along with them. In my case, 12% of the U.S. population is on the opposite side of my personality. So I am an INTP 
which means if you are an ESFJ, you have the opposite personality of me. And I'm only like 2% of the population, so I'm kind of a rarity. I'm not the rarest, there's rarer. But those are just little things that create differences. In our, now, God created us to be different. He created us this way to complement one another. But the devil likes to get us stuck on it. To let us get us to focus on these differences. And try to think that there is something, try to use it as an excuse to pull away. Or maybe our complaint is about worship style. Maybe we don't like the style of worship. Maybe we don't like traditional, because right today we have a traditional service, which because right during the summer, Sue's the only one that can only one that's doing it, and she's on vacation. So, or maybe you maybe you prefer there would be more contemporary, or maybe the contemporary is not contemporary enough, or the traditional is not traditional enough, or maybe we don't quite like the particular hymns that we sing. Maybe we want the good old fashioned hymns, which I. Just a little irony, whenever we say good old-fashioned hymns, the hymn that we just sang, or the God's Own Child, We Gladly Say It, both of those hymns are from the 16th, 16th and 17th century. So they are actually older than what we typically classify as the good old-fashioned hymns, like Amazing Grace or How Great Thou Art. Not that there's anything wrong with those hymns, but How Great Thou Art was written in the 20th century. It's old and it is new enough that it's still under copyright. So, uh, whereas some of those other hymns are much, much older. Not that, again, not that there's anything wrong with it, but what we consider the good old-fashioned hymns are really, a lot of times, are really not that old. They're actually very new. And actually, that might be reflection as to when we get upset about new music, about music that's newer, because a lot of our hymns were at one time new. Your, your great-grandparents, for many of you, pro, many of them may never have heard the hymn, How Great Thou Art, because it wasn't written yet. It wasn't around when my grandparents were alive, were, were being grown up. But yet we'll complain about that. Or perhaps we'll complain, we like to complain about the musicians, maybe. We complain about whether it be the praise team and the praise band or our organists. Now, I don't know if you realize, but we are very blessed to have the music that we have, to have the organists that we have. When I was in Ocheetah, we were terrified we were going to run out of organists. There are churches in, this, in our synod that don't have an organist. Guess what their organ is? They have to play it on a CD player, and that's your, that's your organ. They, praise team and praise band isn't even in the equation, much less an organist. But we are very blessed to have three organists that are willing to serve us every week. And yet, quite often, there are those who will complain. They, they play too fast or they play too slow. And this is where this comes into this text. Jesus saying, I tell... He says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for the, that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. 
Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment of Tyre, for Tyre and Sidon than for you, and you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. See, as we complain about the style of a sermon, we complain about perhaps we don't like the style of music. Perhaps we complain about the people who are the musicians. All the while missing what we are hearing in that music. Look at that hymn that we just sang. I don't know if you noticed it, but that hymn, it is just bursting at the seams, the gospel. The message of salvation, it's just, it's just seeping through, it's oozing out. You heard the very core of the message that Jesus has come and brings pleasure eternal. We, are hearing, we hear messages, we get to hear a gospel that ages ago, many ages have longed for. By the time that Jesus showed up, for th several thousand years, people have been waiting and longing for a Messiah, longing for the coming of the Christ. And there he was, preaching to them. They had seen him do miracles, and yet they were rejecting him. We are hearing the Gospels. We get to hear the, read the fullness of the Scriptures. We get to read the full, all four Gospels, the book of Acts and the Epistles, to hear the fullness of what Jesus has done. A message that so many centuries had longed for. And yet if it comes in the wrong package, and it's delivered in the wrong way, we grumble, complain, and if it's not in the right way, we might even decide not to receive it at all and leave it be. Can you hear Jesus' condemnation to such thoughts? Or for, for, if you want to even think not even of the past, think of today. There are people this day, this hour, if they, want, if they are in church or they want to go to church, they're, high, they're going to church in secret, in secret homes, in the, in the dark to make sure no one knows that they are doing what they're doing. Because they are afraid of being persecuted, of being executed for, pre for hearing God's word, for worshiping him. There are so many countries in this world that what we are doing right now is illegal, punishable by death. And yet in those countries, there are Christians still worshiping. You hear from missionary Gary talk about stories of a church, there's this, the churches in Africa where they have, there's churches, they don't have a roof. And temperature, let's just say our summers are pretty mild compared to some of the, these countries. It could be over 100 degrees outside. There is definitely no air conditioning given the fact they have no roof. And the church is so full that people are standing outside the door. The service ends up going three hours long and the, and the late, little late old lady comes to the pastor and says, is that all we get? As if three hours isn't enough 
And yet we will grumble at the littlest of things. And by the way, they might have some dynamic preachers, and they have some preachers that are not. There, they don't care. They're just happy to hear the gospel. See, as our, in the church, we love, we sometimes, in our, especially in this country, where everything is so comfortable, we grumble at the littlest of things. Or perhaps when things are going well, we like to boast and show about how awesome we are. Both of these mindsets, both of these attitudes are spoken against in this gospel. As it says at the, last, at the end here, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And he does not mean literally tread on serpents and scorpions. So don't worry, pastors are not walking around Arizona seeing what happens. It means demons. Not, so serpents and scorpions is figurative for demons. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And again, he's talking about spiritually Nothing can hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And that brings us all the way back to that hymn. Rejoice. Don't complain about things not going the way you want them. Don't brag about how things are going. Trivia question. If you were to take every single pastor that has ever lived, do you know how many people that all those pastors combined have saved, given eternal salvation? Anybody know? Zero. Pastor doesn't save anyone, even though many pastors, myself included, have, me have Messiah complexes and think that they need, they're the Savior. But we don't save anyone. And this is even comfort to you. When you're telling somebody about the gospel, don't think, did I, did I save them? Nope, you didn't, and you never will. Saving isn't your job. Christ is the one who does the saving. The Holy Spirit is the one who delivers the goods. The only thing you're doing is speaking. And even when you're speaking, it's the Holy Spirit working through you. So guess what? Don't worry about whether or not you did what was necessary. Trust in the Holy Spirit. And that's also why we can never brag. We can never rejoice. We can't never, we don't rejoice that we've done good things. We, give, we rejoice that God allows us to partake in these things, to be a part of these things. But ultimately, our joy is that our name is written in heaven. Rejoice. Your name is written in heaven. As we began the service with that hymn, God's own child, I gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. You are, when you are, that hymn, that's a hymn that I have of the mind would be great for literally every funeral. Because, it's a good, and it's actually great for every day of your life. When work stinks, when you're not certain about where you're working, whether or not you have the right job, when you face retirement, when you retire and you're not certain about your role in life, 
When you're in school and people are just saying awful things to you. Don't. It's so easy to grieve and understandably. But you can rejoice. God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. You go to the doctor and you get a bad prognosis. Maybe you find yourself that you have, a, you have cancer. You have some type of disease that is quite difficult. God's own child, I gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. You are lying on that, you are lying in your bed on the last, and you know you don't have much time to go. And you, you're fearing about what may come, but you can say it. God, death, you cannot end my gladness. I am baptized into Christ. See, that Christ has come and given you pleasure eternal. Christ, who is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the union supernal. He is God in the flesh. He came to be your friend. He came in order to die on the cross. He came to break you free from the shackles of sin, death, and the devil. And for that, we rejoice, no matter how it's delivered to us. And you know what? This coming week, I'm going to be going to the National Youth Gathering. And there's two ways we can go in, along with others, and they're going to be all, we're going to um, commission them in a little bit. But it is so, we'll go there, we'll see t over 20,000 youth all gathered to hear God's word, gathered to celebrate in their Savior. Now, um, there's the temptation on both ends of this. The temptation is to say, look at how awesome we are with all these people. And rejoicing what we have done rather than rejoicing in what God is doing. But the other temptation is I was there back in 2004. We had 37,000 people. If you can't count, that's a 17,000 person drop. And to begin to think, oh boy, it's just going downhill. All the while missing what me and wherever Zach is get to be kind of part of. We get to help administer, deliver, take part in the communion service on Monday. Not tomorrow, but a week from Monday. Com delivering the body and blood of Jesus. Helping to deliver it to 20,000 teenagers. Receiving the forgiveness of sins. The salvation that is in Christ. We could get caught up in bragging about how things are good. We could get caught up on why things aren't the way we like it. All the while missing that God's grace is pouring forth right there. And rejoicing in his grace and mercy. May we do so until he returns. In Jesus' name. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. At this time, I'm going to have all of our national youth gathering participants come forward and parents, because parents have parts. <laughs> <laughs>